Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Good afternoon. How y'all doing out there? We can do better than that. How y'all doing out there? Well, I am excited. Today is a special day. Today is special because in February 2020, before we knew what a coronavirus was or the names of other people like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, there was a sermon series that began called Proclaim through the Gospel of John. That's right. This series started a year and a half ago, and today we conclude the series. That's a long time. Right now, in between, yeah, I mean, that, this is, and, and y'all, part of the reason, some people might go, okay, a year and a half to go through, John, of course, we took some breaks in between because of what was happening in our nation and, and, and around us and among us. But the reason why we wanted to persist through uh, the book of John is because we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And as such, the more we understand the Bible, the more we can understand reality. Let me put that differently. We believe biblical literacy will help you with reality, reality literacy. In order to properly interpret what's happening around us, we must properly interpret the Bible. And one of the most effective ways of doing that is having a sense of a full context of the whole arc of the story that is being told in a specific book. And that's why we really tarried and persevered through uh, the book of the Bible of the Gospel of John. Because life comes at you fast. And um, we can go from feeling invincible to feeling very vulnerable and weak in a snap. I recently kind of was reminded of that as I was watching a movie, and this movie uh, focused on a woman who was a psychologist who began to suffer from an acute sense of agoraphobia. Agoraphobia is the fear of public places and being outside. So she was trapped in her house, and anytime she tried to go outside and venture out of the doors of her house, she would begin to have panic attacks. And her counselor or psychologist, that this woman who was also a psychologist, she was, he was trying to talk to her because what she began to do was become obsessed with looking out the windows to see what was happening in other people's lives as they were able to freely live about and walk about throughout, or in her neighborhood in New York around her. We later learned why she had this agoraphobia that developed. You see, she was heading out on a family trip uh, with her husband and her daughter, and the husband, while they were driving out on this trip, because they were experiencing some difficulties in their marriage, he confronts her about the fact that he knows that she has committed an affair. While they're having this conversation, which quickly turns into an argument, uh, the phone, which is on the dash, given their directions, shows up a call that's coming with an unknown number. Husband says, that's him, isn't it? 
And so she nervously tries to pick up the phone, and she drops the phone, and is on her way to pick up the phone, she takes her eyes off the road, swerves, the car tumbles, crashes, killing both the husband and the daughter. And she became completely trapped in this world of guilt and of shame because of what had happened and what she had done, and could find no way of experiencing a sense of forgiveness and restoration. And so the, her being trapped in the house was a symbol of her being trapped inside of a reality in which she had no way to get out of. And the reality is also that we can relate to that experience. Have you ever had a moment where you messed up so badly with God that you wondered, is there any coming back from this? I know I have. And the reality is we all have. And perhaps more than any other time in history, we struggle with what to do when we fall. And how do we get back up again? Perhaps we've suffered from broken relationships with other people and we don't know what to do. Should I, should I reconcile with them or should I cancel them? What do we do? with that sense of guilt, that weight. And this last chapter of John sums up the entire gospel of John. And it gives us the knowledge and wisdom about how to experience a restoration beyond what our minds could possibly conceive of or perceive of. So let's check it out. But before we do, I want to set it up a little bit. You see, this moment there in the gospel account, there's three resurrection accounts that we see in the gospel of John. The first happens on Easter Sunday when they go to the empty tomb and it's empty and then Jesus reveals himself to Mary and the other women and then they tell the disciples. And then the second one appears, Pastor James preached on it last week when after Thomas, the doubter, said, I'm going to have to see Jesus for myself. And then Jesus shows up and says, okay, you want to touch my hands and my feet? Those are the first two, and this last account is the last one. And each time that Jesus appears, it's not just like a, a magic trick, like ta-da. Each one has a purpose, because you know whenever Jesus shows up, there's a purpose. That was true then, and it's still true in our lives today. So let's just get to it. In verses 1 through 3, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. You know, one of the things as I was reflecting and preparing this that I realized we tend to forget is that the 12 weren't just the disciples, but there were some guys that were close friends. And, and, and if we can just go back into this picture, remember, and not only were they close friends, they, some of them were related. Andrew and Peter were brothers, and so were James and John, like biologically, same mom, same dad, brothers. And the rest of them grew up together, and their families actually were in business together as fishermen. So they grew up as kids together. They were rolling in thick together. 
In Galilee, you have to remember where this is setting is, is far from Jerusalem. It's about a four to five day journey from Jerusalem where everything had just happened, right? Like the trial, the Judas's betrayal, the crucifixion, even Jesus's first two resurrection accounts. All that happens down south in Jerusalem. And so still trying to just make sense of it all, they decide to just, you know, just go up to Galilee. And we know the end of the story, so we kind of just kind of go brush right by it. But remember, they don't even know what to do with it. They don't even know what to make sense about Jesus coming back. What does that mean? Are we canceled because we all kind of messed up? Or like, is he going to tell us what to do? We're just, you know what? Let's just go fishing. Well, Peter's like, I'm going to. And because he's kind of like (laughs) the alpha personality in a group, because he says we're going fishing, they all like, bet, let's roll. And I can imagine, so they come home. Now, again, remember, their families, they left their families to go follow Jesus, right? They left, you know, the nets and they were fishing and all that. And you know how their family can be when you go and you go out to go pursue a dream or go pursue something, and then it doesn't quite work out the way you expect it, and you come home like, ah, look at Mr. Big Bad, disciple of the Messiah. Didn't turn out too good, huh? Come back fishing now, huh? Yeah, I thought you were too good for that. So (laughs) coming back is a little bit coming back with their tail between their legs. And then on top of all of that, they go back to what they knew how to do, fishing, and they fail at that too. Yeah, it's pretty deflating. They go all night. They don't catch anything. And so early in the morning, they hear this voice on the shore. The voice says, children, do you have any fish? They're like looking at each other. Nah, we don't. We didn't catch anything. So then the voice says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, you have to understand, to these experienced fishermen, this advice made no sense. The reason why they fished at night was because the particular type of fish that they were getting, they would use the nets, and the nets the fish couldn't see at nighttime, and so then they would pull the net. During the daytime, the fish could see, and they would be scared off. So it didn't really make sense. They were already deflated, but I guess they were just so desperate, they just decided, you know what, what do we got to lose? What the heck? They put the net on the other side of the fish. It's almost like saying, hey, my pants don't work. Well, maybe if I put it in my left, start with my left leg first instead of my right leg, then it'll fit. Like, it doesn't really make sense, right? But they do it anyway. And look at what happens. It says in verse 21, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 6, in the C part, so they, cast, so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So not only does the advice work, it works to such a degree that now their problem is actually trying to bring in all the fish that before they could have nothing. You ever have deja vu? <laughs> you know, like I remember a few couple years ago, I was at the Barclays Center uh, at a concert, a bunch of different, you know, artists. And I was sitting there listening to one major, and I was like, where have I heard this voice before? And then it dawned on me, 10 years earlier, I was at Berkeley College of Music working with some artists, and he was a student there. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is the same guy. And just because of the voice, you know how sometimes something with your senses, a smell, a, a, a sound, a, even just a taste of something can bring you all the way back to another memory. 
And this moment, all of a sudden, they bring out the voice in the fish. And, and like John looks at Peter like, yo, you remember three years ago? Three years ago, we were, we were fishing and we didn't catch anything that night. And you were mad because you wanted to use the money that day to get the new Air Moseses that had just come out, you know, the 30s. And then this dude, like, told us to just put the net on the other side. And so we did it, even though you were mad about it. That was Jesus. Yo, that's Jesus. Like, it's, you know, it's like, get excited. And then it says in verse 7 and 8, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net of fish, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. You can see the excitement. Of Peter. I mean, can you understand it, right? Like, your beloved teacher, who had just raised from the dead, has just shown himself again. <laughs> like, just out of the blue. So it's this exciting moment, but there's also this moment of humor where you see some shade happening here, too. Now, this is where you have to remember that they're boys. Like, they go, they go way back as friends. So what John is pointing out is that, um, in this verse, is that Peter, in his enthusiasm, decides to jump outside of a boat, which is used to transport people in water quickly, and decides to swim to the shore. And he was like, the rest of us just kind of looked at each other and was like... <laughs> so he's kind of like right there putting them on blast. Only close friends do that, you know what I mean? And decide to put that in the Bible, like, you know, just, just for fun. So verse 9 says, and when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Again, John is going back and was like, see, you had to go back anyway to get the fish, so why'd you jump out the boat, Peter? But beyond that, Jesus looks and he shows through the miraculous catch that he decides to use the obedience of them casting the net over to feed them with the same fish. And don't you realize God will use your obedience to feed you? When you decide to trust him and do what doesn't make sense, he will use that obedience to actually nourish your soul. Yeah. God will... And then the other thing is, the other problem of the fish being too much, God actually miraculously allowed the nets not to break. And that's the other thing. Sometimes the blessings that you come in, will come in are so overwhelming. You're like, I don't know if I can handle this. And, and, and John is reminding us right now, don't worry, your nets won't break. You can actually sustain the blessing that God has for you, even though you might feel overwhelmed in the moment. So verse 12, it says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, you, you get this sense a few times in these post-resurrection accounts 
the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Mary at, at the tomb, where Jesus actually, post-resurrection, looks different to them. And so there's a little bit of like, yo, you, you Jesus, but like the, the shine is different. Because <laughs> you know, when you get resurrected, you look different to people. <laughs> you can't come back and look exactly the same. There's a, that's something in your countenance that changes. And then the resurrected Jesus chooses to serve them once again. Last time he washed their feet. This time he's cooking breakfast. And they're sitting there, and I could just see these guys around the fire, and they're probably still clowning Peter for jumping into the water. They're eating some amazing grilled fish, because I, I just happen to believe since Jesus like, created the fish and the fire that he knows how to make some banging grilled fish, right? Like, it's amazing. And they're talking and just enjoying each other's company. I mean, just a week ago, they thought they would never have this experience again. And now here they are, reminiscing, yo, the fish and the loaves. Remember when Jesus took the fish and the loaves and he fed all those people and then we had to pick up the leftovers? Remember that? And they're just right there with them. And Jesus is in the midst of them. And he's not just watching them. He's engaged in the conversation too, enjoying it, clowning with them. Oh, Jesus had jokes too. And here's the point that we can just so, be so quick to, to, to jump over. Jesus enjoys spending time with us. Just chilling. Do you enjoy spending time with him? Because he, he's into us like that. It matters to, for him to just spend time with us, just to have fun, just, just, just to hang out, just to talk, reflect on old times. And they were just enjoying themselves, and then there was a shift in the atmosphere. You know how you're chilling, eating maybe a, a meal, and all of a sudden, somebody in your family calls you by the name when they only use when, like, it's serious. You know that name like where it's like, oh, you use my whole government name. Like, this is real. That's what happens next. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. So the, the, there's a lull. The conversation kind of dips down. It gets a little quiet. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns to Simon Peter, and he calls him by Simon. Now, remember, Simon was his birth name. Jesus, when he first called him as a disciple, he said, and your name will be Peter, for you will be like a rock. And throughout the Gospels, whenever you see Jesus using a name, either Simon or Peter, it's to specify something. And he's calling him by this original name, Simon, to say, and he says, do you love me more than these? Pointing probably to the fish. Because you see, the fish represent a part of Simon's old life before he became Peter, when he was independent and on his own and calling the shots. 
And he said, do you love me more than these fish? You went back and going back to what you knew. And Jesus just reminded him he came up empty because without Jesus, Peter, Simon Peter could do nothing. And he's saying, and then Peter responds, yes, you know I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. And notice the shift from fish to lambs. He's saying, look, I have a different job for you, buddy. I need you to feed my lambs. Now, lambs are baby sheep. Probably there's no more vulnerable animal than a baby sheep. No defenses at all. Vulnerable needs to be fed four times a day. They're completely on their own. Like they, they can't survive on their own. If a lamb is in the wild by himself, it dies. And Jesus is about to ascend into heaven to the Father, and he's saying, the church is my baby, Peter. Can I depend on you to not go back to your old way and nurture those around you? And then from there, the conversation gets even more intimate. In verse 16, he says, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Now, tending sheep is more involved than simply feeding lambs. Tending sheep means to the whole process of caring for the sheep, which both means protecting them from predators like wolves. It also means breaking up disputes. Yes, sheep have disputes with more aggressive ones and more passive ones and having to separate them. It means the day-to-day caring for that as an occupation like a shepherd. So once again, Jesus is like saying, okay, if you love me, then this is what I need from you. And this time, he doesn't compare the love to the fish. He doesn't say more than these. He just says, do you love me? And here's, don't don't miss the very basic point here. Peter says, yes, I love you. And so Jesus says, well, if that is true, then this is what it looks like. Taking care of my people. Real love for Jesus looks like serving his church. He, he, He puts it right there. He puts it very plainly. If it's true, then do this. So now Jesus is asking Peter to feel the mantle of leadership, of responsibility as a shepherd. And you can see that as a conversation, I can imagine, because they're all there together still around this fire. Peter, like looking at the different disciples and seeing this conversation happen, like, okay, I got this. But Jesus takes the tension up to another level, and everything of the last three years builds on this particular and led to this particular moment. In verse 17, he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Now, why was Peter grieved? What would have grieved? Imagine hearing this for the first time as you're sitting there. You're like, dang, he's asking me, does that mean that he doesn't believe me? And then it's like the third time hits. Once again, deja vu sets in. The other disciples kind of get quiet, turn their head a little bit like, 
and everybody sees the elephant in the room. How the fellowship and everything that they experienced for the last three years together had been unforgettably shattered. Y'all remember that? Matthew captures it in Matthew 26, verse 31 and 32. The night that Jesus was betrayed, it says, Then Jesus said to them, This very night you all will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And here they are. They're in Galilee. This is the moment that Jesus said was going to happen. And they had scattered just as he said that would happen. But that's not why the elephant's in the room. It's because of what happened next in that dialogue in Matthew 26. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now imagine how the disciples felt about that one. Yo, they might be snitches. They might diss you, but I'm your boy. It's never going to happen with me. I don't care what the scripture that you just quoted said. <laughs> Verse 34. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He doubles down. Jesus, you're wrong. That's not me. I'm not that dude. And all the disciples was like, yeah, 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 all of us. That's us too. And then if we skip down to verse 73 in the same chapter, Matthew 26, after a little while, those standing up to there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, meaning the disciples. This is after Jesus was arrested. Your accent gives you away. We can tell you from the north. We can tell you from Galilee. Because you say mad after everything that you do. Like it's mad hot. It's mad cold. People can tell when you're from New York. It's just like we can tell. They're like, we can tell you from Galilee. Then he began to call down curses and said to them, I don't know the man. I don't know. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Jesus asked them three times, do you love me? The charcoal fire that Jesus used to smell the fish would have brought his mind back to that night because Peter was warming himself on a charcoal fire. You ever have your senses remind you of some of your worst moments? That perfume 
that cologne that takes you back to a time when you said, no, Jesus, I'll never go back to that person. I'll never go back to that situation. Maybe a song, maybe a certain place. Every time you see it, when you walk by, you're reminded of that moment. I call that a fleshback. The flesh is just involuntarily, you just go back to that space. And the denial of Peter is one of the only incidences that happens in all four gospel accounts. All of them bring it up. And it's not that they're throwing rocks at Peter because uh, according to church history, Mark's account is based on Peter himself. So he knows that it's such an important part of the story. What do you do in a moment like this where you're confronted with your absolute failure, the thing that you promised that you would never do? Where is there to go from that when you deny the person who you said is everything to you? Well, the answer to that is in Jesus' response. Notice Jesus is having this conversation with Peter, and he doesn't say, I told you so. Didn't I tell you that that was going to happen? He doesn't rub it in, and that's not why he's even bringing it up right now. He's actually emphasizing the fact that I am restoring you and I forgive you. Notice the context right now. He's not asking him. He's not waiting for Peter to ask, Jesus, do you still love me? That's not even on the table for debate. It seems like somehow, even though Peter is the one that has fallen short, the real question is, do you still love me? Do you love me more than everything else that has, you've allowed to enter in and interrupt our relationship and our fellowship? Some of us may have succumbed to the pressure of denying Jesus with words or with actions. And during this time of a hard time that we've experienced as a, as a nation, unlike anything else where there's been no fellowship and, 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 and stress and an anxiety, you may have done things that you said you would never do. And Jesus is just asking, do you love me? Because he saw Peter in his failure and loved him anyway. Don't you understand Jesus sees us at our worst and loves us with his best. Anyway, in spite of that is what he's communicating to Peter in this moment. And that is what he is communicating to us. And that is the heart of the gospel of John. John himself can't get over the love of Jesus. He continually refers to himself in the gospel and even in this chapter as the disciple who Jesus loved. Because he remembers earlier when he was a young buck in this thing and there were some Samaritans in the village that didn't respond well to Jesus and him and his brother, who they were called the sons of thunder, said, yo, Jesus, should we pray to call down fire to destroy everybody? Just wilding out. 
And over the course of time, Jesus was like, first he was like, y'all tripping, no. <laughs> but he starts to, his heart begins to melt under the, the, just the heat of the love of Jesus and it sees that there's another way. And he never got over the fact that Jesus loved him in spite of his failures. And so he just refers to himself throughout the gospel as the disciple who Jesus loved. So Jesus asked Peter so that he could restore Peter. And this time, Peter doesn't deny him. But with humility, look at his response. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now he says, you, you, you know, Jesus, I can't pull the wool over your eyes. I know I've messed up in the past, but you know all things. You know this is coming from my heart. You know in spite of my failures, it's true. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And look at the, in verse 18. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you, were, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. All Peter wanted was another shot, another chance to prove that he was willing to give his life for his Lord, that, that if, he, if the heat was turned up again, that he wouldn't deny him, but that he would boldly represent him. And Jesus assures him, I know, and you'll get that opportunity. And according to church tradition, Peter was eventually arrested for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He and his wife were put under trial and given the opportunity, denounce him and we'll set you free. And they refused. And so what the Roman Empire did was cause Peter to watch his wife be crucified in front of him first. And as she was being crucified, he was reportedly said, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. And then it was his turn. And he said, I'm not worthy of dying the same way that my Savior did. Crucify me upside down. And they obliged him. You see, I think about often, what's the difference between Judas and Peter in the fact that in the same span at the same time, both of them betrayed Jesus in different ways? And one of them, and this is so important for our own walks in our own life, is that when Judas betrayed Jesus, he turned inward to self-pity and ended up hanging himself. Peter turned outward to Jesus when he hears the voice of Jesus and darts his way to him. Don't you realize that when we fall short, that the, the key determining factor of we, what happens in that restoration, do we go to Jesus with our grief? Not to ourselves, not to our self-pity. You see, in that, there's a reminder and, and a picture that what Romans 8 says is true. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose, because those who he foreknew, he also predestined 
to become conformed into the image of his son. What that means is that every situation, every circumstance, God uses it to make you more like Jesus. In the context of Peter, it meant shaving off the pride and the arrogance that made you think that Jesus could be wrong about what he was going to say about you, that you were more righteous or more bold than your friends. And he's like, I'm going to use this to humble you, but make no mistake about it, I'm using this to conform you to my image. Remember that when you're struggling. Remember that when you're falling short. I love the way that somebody put it. Your setback is just a setup for your comeback. It's just a setup. We live for Jesus not to earn his forgiveness, but because we already have received it. Do you see the difference? In one context, you're trying to prove something. You're trying to get something. And so you'll, you'll try to do whatever you can just to, to say, Jesus, I'm worth it, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to show you how sorry I am. And then the other, it's like, I am so overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus loves me that I'm willing to serve and live for him forever. And it comes out of a spirit of gratitude. It comes out of a spirit of worship. And God becomes bigger. And that bigness includes his grace and his mercy and his love. And it causes us to be more loving and gracious and patient with other people. So he hears this. And then we see the last line that we'll look at today. So Jesus then said to Peter, Follow me. <laughs> Boy, I can't. I wish I had time to unpack how incredibly poetic the entire Gospel of John is. But, but you got to peep this and see that if you go back to the initial call of the disciples, when Jesus was walking by this group of fishermen three years earlier, what he said to them was, follow me. It's the first thing he said to them. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. You'll, I'll show you things you've never seen before. You'll get closer to God than you've never been. I'll use you in different ways. Follow me is the first thing that he said before the failure, before the rejection, before the rebukes, before the loss, before the crucifixion. Follow me. And the last thing he says is follow me. Because that's the last word. That, all that other stuff doesn't matter. Your failure doesn't matter. Your falling short doesn't matter. All that matters. Do you love me? Follow me. And the same thing is for us. You want to know how do you get back? How do you, how do you, how do you get back to the sense of restoration, dynamic relationship? It's kind of been lost. That's, that fire has been like out. You haven't opened up your Bible in forever. You haven't had fellowship. You've been whatever, doing whatever. He just says, follow me for restoration. Hear my voice. Listen to it. Today is the day of salvation. Yesterday is past. Tomorrow hasn't come yet. What are you going to do today? Follow me, Jesus says. But the other part of this, don't miss this. Because in the context of this story, remember when Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. He was going to go by himself. He was probably going to go wallow in his own failures. And the rest of the disciples said, we're going with you. Another key component is we follow Jesus with fellowship for restoration. We never were meant to go by this alone. And sometimes we just need someone to just be with us after the failures, after the heartbreak, after the sense of just dejection. 
don't do it by yourself. Follow Jesus with fellowship. And lastly, sometimes we can get so caught up in navel-gazing and, and so caught up in just wallowing in our own sense of guilt that we forget or we even deny the fact that this isn't over for us. And so this is why Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And he says, feed my sheep. Feeding the sheep is the way that we continue for restoration. What that means is I'm not done with you yet. And actually, how about you just get to work? And somehow that process will actually remind us of the fact that God is not through working in the world and working through other people. Serve. Basic point blank. Are you serving? If not, this is a great opportunity while you're still trying to get restored. And you see, the world has no idea how all this works. In that movie that I was talking about earlier, the woman who suffered from agoraphobia, she had no real answer how to move on with her life. But we have the answer. It's Jesus. You can be restored because of Jesus. You can be forgiven because Jesus died for all of the things that you have been failing in. And we need you because these lambs need to be fed and the sheep need to be cared for. And it's real simple. He says, you might be wondering, you might be asking, but, but you don't know what I did, pastor. You don't know my track record. Can Jesus really still love me in spite of what I've done? And the beautiful thing about this chapter is he already answered it. He says, look at my hands. Look at my side that was pierced for you. Look at my feet with the nail-scarred hands. The question isn't, do I love you enough? The question is, do you love me? And if the answer is yes, then he says to you what he says to Peter. Then follow me. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you now. It's been a heavy time for many of us, a time where some of us, under the sound of my voice, have fallen short, have been broken in ways like Peter we never expected or anticipated. I pray, Holy Spirit, that those under the sound of my voice, online, listening, right here in the building, that you would tell the, that you would just depart, impart in their souls, deposit in their spirits that you love them in spite of what they've done, that you died for all of our sin and that you give us a ministry of reconciliation based on an understanding of that love to go and care for other people who need to hear that same message. Lord, would you help us today follow you so that we can experience the fact that you are great, that you are good, that your hope endures, that you, you restore all that are broken. Thank you for your restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. 
We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.